0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the Dave Ellswick show on this Thursday morning. Uh, It is August 13th. We've got a lot to talk about this morning. Uh, This is JR Davis. I'm filling in for Dave Ellswick this morning, who had surgery yesterday. He's doing well, he's recovering, um, and I get an opportunity to sit in uh, for the great Dave Ellswick. So uh, we have a lot to talk about this morning. You saw yesterday the big news from the Biden camp announcing what uh, was. Pretty much the foregone conclusion as to who he would pick as his running mate, Kamala Harris, uh, the senator from California, uh, is was really always in the conversation as sort of, you know, who will it be for Joe Biden, Kamala Harris or someone else? Would it be someone else or Kamala Harris? So it was always, I think, her for the most part. Uh, so it wasn't really a surprising announcement uh, two days ago. And then, of course, yesterday was their first big event together I say big event in the coronavirus era. I think they were standing in a gym in Delaware um, and both gave speeches. And look, if you're the Democratic Party, you got to be pretty pleased with what uh, could have been a pretty awkward event. You you walk out, there's there's no crowd, there's no applause. Uh, Biden introduces his historic pick for VP, no applause. It's just sort of a weird atmosphere in general, but Democrats have to be pretty pleased with it. They got the opportunity. Uh, every major network uh took the speeches live something they haven't done uh, for president trump in some time uh the entire cbs uh network and affiliates took it live as well so they had their opportunity and i thought joe biden did uh, a pretty good job uh in his in his speech it was a good speech uh kamala harris it was a good speech uh and they they had the uh, country's attention um and you know it actually probably fared better for Democrats that it wasn't some big rah-rah rally like we saw in 2016 with Hillary Clinton uh, and her pick for uh, VP and Senator came Lackluster. There was a crowd. It wasn't a lot of substance. There was a lot of substance in these speeches. Um, and I thought uh, Vice President Biden did a, did a pretty good job with the speeches. Now, look, when I say that, that's This is where we are in this race. Uh, basically, there's pats on the back for Joe Biden when he can string thoughts together and it makes sense. Uh, and that's where we are. So yesterday he gave a speech and you're like, man, that was a really good speech. But again, we're grading on a curve here. Uh, he, he said words together. They made sense. He didn't lose his track uh, or his train of thought, uh, though he did have a prompter in front of him. Uh, but he got his chance, and I thought he did uh, what he needed to do uh, as far as laying out, um, you know, uh, uh, his attack on President Trump. I thought Kamala Harris is, uh, was, you know, the pick that probably, you know, again, not a surprising pick, but it was the pick that they needed. She's a compliment to Joe Biden. She's the attack dog. Uh, and so that's what we're going to see. You heard her mention in her speech, a coalition of conscience. Uh, so that's going to be the theme for Democrats, basically anybody but Trump. This is not who we are as America. It's the soul of the nation, that sort of thing. You're not going to hear them talk a great deal about policy, I don't believe, because that's only going to splinter their base um, and, uh, and, and get them off message as far as the anyone but Trump uh, messaging that they're, they're throwing out there. So that's just the general take. It worked. It, it, was, it went as well as it could be expected with Democrats Um, but, but here's the thing, the issue with, uh, that speech, and look, they always have a bump, you know, when Trump announced Pence, uh, there's always a bump, there's always some interest. Um, and then it goes back to the record and the record is that Kamala Harris, uh, while I think that Democrats will probably coalesce, uh, around her, uh, that she wasn't a popular pick in the primary. Uh, she dropped out before a vote was even taken. And you don't do that unless you have absolutely zero support. Now, I'll remind you, back in 2016, we had the uh, uh, the socialist uh, Martin O'Malley, uh, former, uh, I believe, former uh, mayor of Baltimore or, I don't know, was he governor or governor of Maryland? I don't remember what he was. But he registered less than 1% of the caucus vote in Iowa. He dropped out. Kamala Harris didn't even make it to Iowa Uh, She dropped out, and and now she's the VP. So we'll see how the base um, responds to her. And for a number of reasons, if you look at her record, so let's let's back up a second. Joe Biden's going to be 78 years old if he wins the election. Uh, He will be uh, the oldest president elected uh, in our nation's history. Uh, Before the midterms, he will be 80 years old. Uh, And so I think it's a rational thought to wonder, you know, more so than probably any other VP pick of consequence, that that there's a very good chance that Kamala Harris uh, is in the Oval Office at some point as far as, you know, running the country. I mean, there's a lot. I go back to what I said earlier, that the bar is so low for Joe Biden right now, you just hope that he can string together some coherent thoughts Um, And you kind of pull for him when you hear him in interviews. I mean, like I'm a Republican, but you hear the guy and you're like, oh, come on, Joe, you can can do it. You kind of cheer for him a little bit, right? That's where the bar is on his speeches. And so, look, we don't know what's wrong with Joe Biden, uh, but, you know, everyone has this sense of maybe there is something wrong with Joe Biden. What possibly could be wrong with Joe Biden? We don't know. So it's rational to think that if Joe Biden were to win in November, uh, that before that first term is over, he either steps down or... Maybe he's incapacitated. I mean, look, these are all, look, it's not peddling any sort of rumor. It's just my perception of what I see on TV and, um, you know, what you hear on the radio and that sort of thing. Uh, So we really need to take a look at not just Joe Biden, who has an extensive history uh, and record to pull from, but also that of Senator Kamala Harris. And if you followed her career at all, you'll know that it's one uh, that's quite confusing as far as what she actually stands for. And this is what I think the Democrats uh, are in trouble uh, or, or, or have some, you know, uh, th- that will eventually face some questions about her record and sort of the f- flip-flopping, not knowing exactly where she stands on certain things. And I'm not talking about, look, she's pro-choice uh, when she was a candidate. She's uh, she talks about um, you know, gun control measures and what she would do with her executive power as president, all that's outlined there. Um, sort of that kind of standard soapbox uh sort of talk. I mean, she's uh, the climate change, um, you know, the Green the Green New Deal, all that sort of stuff. We know where she stands, but I think what's interesting is you remember back in the debates, uh that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris got into a huge exchange about Joe Biden's relationships with then segregationist senators um, and his record on busing. Uh, and you remember it; it was a pretty uh, uh, a memorable exchange between the two. But she came out hot. She got a bump from that debate. It was all downhill after that. Um, but she came out and and charged Joe Biden uh, with. With a lot of accusations uh, that yesterday, uh, in her speech, in her own words, you would have thought she never said at all, um, and and that was you know bolstering his uh, his record on civil rights and the fact that he was our first black president's VP, and he's the first presidential candidate to um, have a a black woman on the ticket, uh, but that was certainly not her her stance on things. Uh, back during the primary. Uh, It was a very heated exchange. They were not on the same page, and she pulled out all of the stops there. If you look at where she stands on health care, during her presidential bid, uh, she was quoted during a CNN town hall uh, talking about private health insurance. She said, quote, let's eliminate all of that. Let's eliminate all of that. She got a lot of pushback. That's the single payer system. She wants to do away with private uh, uh health insurance plans. Um and then when you go back to uh you know her record on um, you know as a prosecutor, you know she was against the death penalty, but then uh when she was attorney general, she pushed back on on a cost, uh, on a ruling by I believe it was the state supreme court on allowing uh death penalty so it's just it look that's just kind of the top you there's a ton out there you can read but it's just very interesting to me that you have this candidate who i think is quite frankly more of a centrist candidate who is being pegged as more of a progressive candidate um, and the democrats are not going to highlight really some of the policy initiatives uh, i believe because it's going to splinter their base you've got a le- you've got a faction of their a large faction look if, the, if candidates hadn't dropped out after South Carolina to back Joe Biden, we could very well be looking at a, you know, talking about who Bernie Sanders picked for his vice presidential um, running mate. And so a lot happened in a little bit of time to open the path for Joe Biden to be the Democratic nominee. But again, there's a huge faction in that party that wants to go as far left as possible. And we are talking about the single payer, the Medicare for all, uh, doing away with private insurance, because we all f- know that uh, government uh, you know, always does better than the private sector, right? I mean, name one thing that the government has actually done better than the private sector. Uh, but that's what the Democrats want to do. That's what Kamala Harris wants to do. If you remember, there's also an iconic uh, part of the debates when they ask them, who on this stage, raise your hand, who on this stage would do away with private health insurance and a lot of them raised their hand and Kamala Harris's hand was up in the air with the rest of them. The only person that didn't was Joe Biden. Um, And, and, you know, kudos to Joe. He stood firm when they were pushing him to the left. They kept pushing him to the left. They kept pushing him to the left. And then he got lucky and everybody dropped out and we didn't have to have any more debates. Um, But, but Kamala Harris is the pick of not just Joe Biden, but the pick For the future of the Democratic Party, Um, because they do realize that this is an opportunity to pass the torch to the next generation uh, and more diversified uh, party. Um, And this is their pick. And they believe that there's a chance that she will end up in the Oval Office before it's all said and done, uh, whether or not it's after Joe Biden's first term or, quite frankly, and rationally thinking it could be part uh, uh, or during his first term in office. We've got a lot more to talk about this morning. I also want to get to college football, changing things up just a little bit, uh, in the next uh, hour. And then we've got Seth Mays from the RPA, who's going to be in at 8 o'clock. We're going to talk more about the VPs, uh, the VP pick from Joe Biden. Um, and if you've got some thoughts, call in uh, to the show, 501-823-0965. We want to hear your thoughts. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Jr. Davis filling in for Dave this morning. Lots to talk about uh, after yesterday's first event with the Democratic ticket. Joe Biden announcing Kamala Harris, the senator from California, as his VP pick. And there's a lot to unpack here. And we were talking about in the first uh, 20 minutes or so about what are we getting with Kamala Harris. And and I mentioned that, you know, mainly when you see some of her stuff, it, it is it is more centrist. But she's flip-flopped so much on a lot of this. That We really don't know what we're going to get, um, but I would say you're, what you're going to see is the most you know, extreme liberal Democratic ticket and administration that we've ever seen, and this is what I mean by that. Joe Biden w- – we talked about this earlier. We were so close to a Bernie Sanders uh, you know, candidacy uh, you know, as far as the, the Democratic nominee – Everybody, uh, you know, dropped out, endorsed Biden, and then that's it, and that's all she wrote. But we were so close to a Bernie Sanders candidacy, but the Democrats knew that that was not going to fly with the general electorate. Uh, It just wasn't. It was too extreme. It's too liberal. So they wanted good old Uncle Joe, right? Because we know Joe Biden. He's been around. He was VP, longtime senator from Delaware. He has a great story to tell. But um at the end of the day uh this is a trojan horse for the democratic party um this is this is a man that they want Americans to feel comfortable with so they can get the white house back and then shove whatever liberal progressive policies uh they can at the american people and that starts with kamala harris you also heard that right before The VP pick, he flew in Pete Buttigieg to Delaware. He was meeting with others. I think you're probably going to see a cabinet rollout to sort of unify uh, the party, Um, and that could be Elizabeth Warren. Uh, You know, that could be a Bernie Sanders. We don't know, but I guarantee you that it's going to be the most liberal and extreme uh, uh, administration that we have ever seen in America, because Joe Biden is the conduit uh, that will allow Democrats the Democratic Party to do just that. He is a Trojan horse. Uh, so keep that in mind. We've got a caller on the line. We want to take your thoughts on all the news from the last 48 hours. Hi. How, How are you doing? I'm doing well, good. man. How are you doing? Doing good. On my way to work. Nice. So, I've got a question for you, and I've been wanting to call for a long time. If uh, Come election time, if Joe Biden for some reason wins or say Trump wins, do you think there'll be a, a pushback from the left? Meaning, do you think they'll go all out with a war? If, if, uh, if Trump wins. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. I think if Trump wins reelection, we thought that the, uh, the racial unrest, Uh, And, and, you know, the the protests we saw in June and what we're seeing throughout, you know, a lot of the Democratic cities in this country. We thought those were bad. Oh, boy. Just wait. It is going to be unbelievable um, in in November. Now, remember, too, something we've got to keep in mind, we may not know the outcome of this election, not just nationally, but even here in Arkansas until a few days after the fact, Uh, we've got mail in ballots. Uh, they're going to be counted. You're not allowed to count those until the polls close. We're going to be. There's going to be allegations on both sides of, of voter fraud. Uh, but certainly, I'm telling you right now, if Trump wins a second term, there is going to be just chaos. Uh, you know, you saw. Remember, you remember the uh, the march on Washington after he oh, yeah. won 2016. Oh, that's going to make it look like child's play. It is going to be unbelievable across this country. The social unrest uh the the just sheer anger from the progressives in this country that just absolutely hate Donald Trump uh and and look and you've noticed this I'm sure when when you look at a normal I say a normal presidency we we spend a lot of time looking at policies and successes and things like that we don't the media does not do that national media does not do that with Donald Trump they they focus on Donald Trump the the personal side of it they don't like him uh, for You know, look, I don't care if you like Trump or you don't like Trump. I think it's important to look at the policies and the successes of the administration, which I do believe are many uh, with this oh, yeah. administration. But uh, there's just so much vitriol towards this this individual um, that you kind of miss the forest for the trees sometimes. And look, there's a lot of news out today about, you know, polls coming out that show Biden up 10 points. The one they're not talking about. Uh, is the Harris poll that has Joe Biden up four uh, percent, and this was between August eighth and eleventh of about twenty eight hundred voters? They have Joe Biden up four percent. I think if you ask the Trump administration, with everything that's going on, they would take that. Uh, that's nearly within the margin of error, if I'm not uh, correct. Well, it's it's uh, it's two points outside of the margin of error, and that's with the uh, pick. From Kamala Harris, we'll see if there's a bump there, but that's all that we're going to see after that. That, that this just happens every single time. You you make your announcement, you get a bump. They're going into the convention next week; they'll get another bump, and then it's the Republicans' turn. But I think, you know, you need to pay attention to this poll. Four points is not a great lead for Joe Biden. And you heard her uh, Kamala Harris yesterday in her speech say, "We don't want just to win; uh, we want a mandate." Uh, and that's what they're going to push for. And it's that anybody but Trump mentality. Um, but like I said before, uh, it's a Trojan horse with Joe Biden. This is just a way to try to get trust from the American people so then they, the Democratic Party, can go in and, uh, and turn this administration into the most liberal organization our administration that we've ever seen in this country. So, uh, hey, we got to take a quick break. I appreciate you calling in. If you have a call, call us, 501-823-0965. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show on this Thursday morning. I'm J.R. Davis filling in for Dave. We've been talking about for the last half hour, uh, the last 48 hours uh, of news coming out of the Democratic Party where Joe Biden announced uh, Kamala Harris as his running mate. And, and there's just I, I just there's a lot of things to unpack this morning and we're still unpacking it. Mostly what you're seeing in the national mainstream media is this idea that this is a a moderate uh, uh, ticket, right That you have Joe Biden at the top, a moderate and that you have Kamala Harris, uh, his VP pick who's a moderate. That's what they're telling us, right? That's what you that's what the mainstream media is saying. That's not at all the truth, and and here's the point I want to make here. Uh, I, I talked about this the first probably twenty minutes uh, of the program, where you, you've got this idea that she's a centrist, and that's how Democrats feel like they can win this election, right? That that in their speeches yesterday, they and I'll get to that in a minute because I do feel like they 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 left something on the table there that was uh, something they should have done but didn't, and I think it just speaks to the vitriolic nature of the democratic party uh, you know, when they look at a large faction of the American electorate, but I'll get to that in a second. Basically what we have right now from the Democrats is a Trojan horse candidacy in Joe Biden. They want people to feel comfortable with good old uncle Joe. They know him. Uh, he's a likable guy. He can't seem to string two sentences together. Um, but, but he's a likable enough guy. Right. And, and we all, you know, uh, the, the, general uh public sees Joe I think as you know a likable moderate he'll be okay uh if we don't like trump then then Joe will be good for a little while uh you know et cetera et cetera Here's the issue though the Democratic party knows that, and they are controlled by the furthest left part of that party. They are unbelievably liberal, they have an extreme view on nearly every issue and that includes senator kamala harris so when i talk about a trojan horse candidacy joe biden is the guy they want you to vote for and they're going to paint kamala harris as a moderate as well uh to try to get people comfortable enough uh to elect joe biden for president that you know that that he's middle of the road and and trump is just he's just let us down right that's that's the idea that this this it's the, the words they used yesterday, this coalition of conscience, um, you know, the, the fight for the soul of America. But they're not talking about policies, right? Because when they start unpacking that, you're going to see Kamala Harris for what she really is. And so this whole Trojan horse idea is that they want you to send Joe Biden to the White House. So they then have Kamala Harris as the number two. And there's a lot of talk. Look, people, this again, this isn't peddling any sort of rumors or misinformation. It's my perception of what I see and I've, you know, uh, uh, I've watched a lot of races, seen a lot of candidates. This there's something not right about Joe Biden. I think yesterday his speech was about as as the the best performance I've seen to date uh from his campaign. And he should be well rested. He's been sitting in a basement in Delaware for the last several months. Uh, So, it shouldn't be a surprise, but again, we're grading on a curve. So, yeah, yesterday he gave a great speech, but, you know, what are we measuring that by? Uh, And so, you know, you've got Joe Biden there, uh, and now you have Kamala Harris, and the DNC has exactly what they want, because if something happens to Joe, and it very well could happen, he's going to be 78, uh, the oldest president elected, if he is indeed elected, uh, and he'll be 80 before the midterms. So there's a very good chance that something happens to Joe Biden before his first term ends and you have Kamala Harris running the country. And and here's the facts of the matter, right? And this isn't, look, this is not fear-mongering or scare tactics. It's just facts. As a matter of fact, she has been on record talking about what she would do with her executive powers as president, uh, that she would essentially, you know, <laughs> the funny part is that she, she, she there's so much attack on Donald Trump about using his executive authority to circumvent Congress, right? But Kamala Harris has said she'd do the exact same thing on gun control, on abortion. Wherever she can, she'll do it on health care, where she believes, by the way, and I quote, let's get rid of it. and that's, that. And she's talking about private health insurance there, by the way, so the single-payer system. Medicare for all that's Bernie Sanders plan by the way she's been a supportive in fact she was arm-in-arm with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez about the Green New Deal this is who you're getting in a vice presidential pick and basically the de facto presidential nominee from the Democratic Party that's scary folks and look we saw it in 2016 where the DNC basically stacked the deck for Hillary Clinton it's not about choice for them right It's not about giving you a choice for president. It's saying, hey, we know better than the American people and we are going to push our policies and the people we believe uh, can, you know, quote unquote, put our country back on the right track. That's what they are trying to do. And they, I mean, the Democratic, uh, uh, the National Democratic Party, the DNC. And so Joe Biden is nothing more than a transitional figure, a Trojan horse, paving the path forward for the de facto presidential nominee of the party, which is Kamala Harris. This is going to be the most extreme left-leaning ticket. Left-leaning, right? I mean, they're on the floor at the left here, right? This is going to be the most extreme ticket in our modern history, in the, actually, just in history of our United States. And I think what you're probably going to see, too, over the next couple of months And maybe even as soon as the Democratic National Convention next week, Joe Biden, uh, a.k.a. the DNC, roll out cabinet appointments, which obviously, you know, we normally don't know those until after the fact. But they're going to try to, you know, bring their party together, unify their party uh, by, you know singing its greatest hits from the primary, right? You heard Kamala Harris yesterday in her speech say it was the most, um, it was a historic primary. It was the most contested and competitive primary in Democratic Party history. Sure, if you want to count just the sheer number of, of people up on the stage, sure. But the ideologues up there that were pushing for everything, you know, left of the left, uh, they were not getting any traction the only person that was getting traction was bernie sanders all right and and of course he was the socialist in that group a democratic socialist whatever you want to call him right but that speaks volumes because you know the 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 rest of those on stage and there were some moderates who got by the way if you remember just got hammered by the leftists on stage i mean just called them you know the, the, you know i think it was uh, elizabeth warren who uh, uh called some of the the more centrist governors uh, up on the stage former governors uh that they shouldn't even be a democrat basically remember that so that's where we are um and so the democratic party and I say look I I, I misspoke a little bit they, they Bernie Sanders was the uh torchbearer right of of everything socialist uh and that super far left uh, so he was getting traction, and if it wasn't for Joe Biden or if it wasn't for the candidates dropping out and coalescing around Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders would be the Democratic nominee, which is a nightmare for the party. Not because they don't believe what Bernie Sanders says, and and make no mistake, they believe uh, in in the gospel of of Bernie Sanders, but they just know the general electorate in America, middle America, they're just not going to elect somebody like that. So that was the whole goal, right? Have everybody drop out, get behind Joe Biden, make him the nominee. Again, DNC doing all the dirty work, right? And then they can have the power and influence over a Joe Biden to pick someone like a Kamala Harris to be his VP pick. Because they know Joe may not be around in two years, three years, four years. So they need someone else. And they need to put someone they want, someone who didn't even register in any of the votes taken in the primaries because she dropped out beforehand because she had zero support. But they like her enough because she's an extremist. And she believes the way they believe, not the way the rest of the country believes, but the way they believe. And so they feel if they can get her in that VP spot and something happens, then they have exactly what they wanted. They have uh, a candidate or a vice presidential pick who takes over the Oval Office without ever having received a vote to be president. And that's how the DNC wants to operate. So it's a Trojan horse. She's the de facto nominee of the party. And the media, national media, is going to continue to paint her as a centrist on some of these issues. She is not. She is so far left. And when they roll out the cabinet and try to bring the whole party together and you see an Elizabeth Warren or perhaps a Bernie Sanders or a Pete Buttigieg, uh, just keep that in mind. It's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, We're going to take uh, a a break here in the next 60 seconds, but when we come back, I want to talk about something that is uh, very, very interesting. I kind of hit on it uh, before the last break, and that is new polling uh, that has come out uh, in the last couple of days. Which bodes well for President Trump, in my opinion. And then I'm going to read one other poll. There's the Harris poll, and then there's the Monmouth poll. I'm, I'm going to read the Monmouth poll, too, when we come back, because I'm, it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting how it's being reported. And again, this is the mainstream media, right? Which, by the way, ran both speeches yesterday in their entirety across every platform. They have not done that for Trump or Pence. And so there is a bias out there. And I'm telling you something you already know, but it needs to be underscored. There is a bias there with national mainstream media during this election. They hate Donald Trump. I believe it, you know, that that it has nothing to do with the actual policies. It's the person. And like him, hate him, I don't really care. But that's where the national media is right now, right? They are biased in their reporting. Uh, and I'm going to show you that after the break uh, in this new poll that came out from Monmouth. And then we're going to talk about uh, the Harris poll as well. We'll be right back. This is the uh, Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM The Answer. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm J.R. Davis filling in for Dave this morning. Uh, we've been talking uh, this hour uh, really about the um, Joe Biden and his pick for. Vice President Kamala Harris. Um, And again, I've said this after every break, there's just a lot to unpack, and that's what we're trying to do this morning. If you have some thoughts on the last 48 hours of news coming out of the Democratic Party, call us, 501-823-0965. That's 501-823-0965. We want to get your thoughts on the Dave Ellswick Show this morning. So when we left off, I I teased uh, a poll Uh, two polls, actually, that came out shortly after um, the release of Kamala Harris's uh, name as the pick for Biden's VP. It's very, very interesting. So if you look at the poll that most national outlets are pushing, this is uh, the Monmouth poll. So this is uh, showing Joe Biden with a lead of about... uh, 10 points nationally. So, you know, former Vice President Joe Biden maintains a 10-point lead over President Donald Trump with less than three months left before the general election. But here's what's interesting to me. So Biden leads the president 51% to 41% among registered voters nationwide. So this is a national poll. But it says a slight tightening of the race since late June with Biden ticking down a percentage point and Trump rising two points. But then you go down the rest of this Politico article and they go on to talk about how, uh, you know, while uh, this poll may indicate that Trump's summer slump is over, this is still uh, a sizable national lead for Joe Biden. Right. So this is things are still going well for the Democratic Party and Joe Biden. And things are only going to go up with Kamala Harris being chosen as his running mate. But here's the interesting part about all this. Joe Biden has a 10-point lead nationally. And again, I just do not care about these national polls. The national polls don't mean anything. We have an electoral college. It matters where he stands in some of these states. But if you look at an October poll from 2016, Hillary Clinton had a 12-point lead nationally over Donald Trump. 12 points. So we're talking about a 10-point lead right now with Joe Biden. This is before the conventions. So you can argue that both candidates will get a bump after their convention. Republicans get to go last. So you'll see a bump there. 90 days is a long time uh, from an election. Uh, I mean, if you go back in elections past, you always see the gap narrowing. Um, You see uh, some candidates uh, come back from, you know... Several points down to take a lead. It's just a lot of time left. Uh and, and I look I go back to, you know, nineteen ninety two and when Bill Clinton and George H.W. and then of course you had Ross Perot thrown in there, but Clinton had a huge lead and it dwindled. And of course it grew back before uh the election, but a lot took place over that last ninety day stretch. Same thing happened in ninety six with Bob Dole. Uh, he was getting crushed, but he had a tick. And he closed actually, I think there was one poll that showed him within i think four points of of Clinton in ninety six and of course, that lead grew it 's all about the messaging from this point forward for Democrats and Republicans. I think the uh, here 's what in two thousand and sixteen there was just a a laxadaisical feel from the Democratic party they didn 't take trump seriously um, Hillary Clinton kind of really just let things go in that last month and didn't go to some of the key states that she should have gone, which ended up costing her the election. You're not going to have that this year with Democrats. But what I think Hillary Clinton did uh, differently, what well, she did do differently than Joe Biden and probably the smarter play was her VP pick. I mean, Tim Kaine, nobody really knew who Tim Kaine was. I mean, yeah, I know he was the, uh, you know, former governor of Virginia and a senator but it it wasn't it wasn't anything sexy, right? It was it was a it was a pretty safe pick. Joe Biden, right after basically he became the presumptive nominee, he 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 went on record saying, "I'm going to pick a female to be my running mate." So that sort of already kind of pinned him in as far as VP picks. And then with all of the social unrest and and the uh, protests following uh, the killing of George Floyd, uh, it, it, it put him in a, a, an even smaller box where it had to be a black female running mate, and I don't think he could have gotten out of that. But what happened here with the Democratic Party, and we've talked about this before about the Trojan horse, and that they really want Kamala Harris to be the VP pick because she's, you know, one heartbeat away from the presidency, and and they can really drive through their super left agenda. Uh, that the American people are not voting for, right? They're voting for good old Uncle Joe that they they somewhat trust, right? That they they think he's moderate, he's been there, he's not going to do anything crazy. Joe's fine, but but Kamala Harris is who you have to pay attention to, and and that's and that's what we're we're talking about uh, today. That pick, I think, by some felt like a safe pick, right? But I think it was a risky pick, and I go back to the poll numbers that I just showed. Biden up 10 points over Trump nationally. That's in the Monmouth poll. If you go to the Harris poll, it shows Trump down only four points from Joe Biden. That's a huge closing of the gap in just a short period of time with 90 days left and the conventions to come. That's, that's important news, because I think a lot, again, can change in 90 days. And I think right now it looks like a, a lot of momentum. Now, granted, maybe it was stifled a bit by the announcement and all the you know pomp and circumstance uh, surrounding a VP pick. But I think the momentum is quietly on Donald Trump's side right now. Uh, because, again, I don't think that the more voters... And, and really the mainstream media um, digs into Kamala Harrison and is willing to show the American people what she stands for, you're going to start seeing those numbers tick down. We're going to talk more about that uh, coming up right after the break. This is the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Week show on one hundred one point one FM. The answer on this Thursday morning. My name is Jr. Davis. I am filling in for Dave Ellswick this morning. Dave had surgery yesterday, but it went well. He's recovering at home, uh, and I get the chance to fill in for Dave uh, here in studio this morning. We're talking about uh, if you've been tuning in at all, if you're on your way to work, we're we're obviously unpacking the Kamala Harris pick for VP from uh, the Joe Biden camp. Uh, there's quite a bit to talk about this morning. Uh, I've spent a good deal this morning kind of talking about, and I think it's important for people to understand that that this Joe Biden, with this pick of Kamala Harris, to me it underscores what I've been feeling the whole time, which is that Joe Biden is a Trojan horse pick for the Democratic Party. The DNC is controlled by the left-leaning faction of this party, the progressive faction—the ones that you know want to control uh, everything from abortion to healthcare to gun control to taxes, um, climate change—all of that sort of stuff—they have an agenda. They have a platform that they want to push on the American people, and they know they can do that with uh, by just getting a, uh, the power back in the White House, right? And what I think they have chastised uh, President Trump for doing and using a lot of his executive authority, which, by the way, Obama did the exact same thing. Um, but, but they've chastised that. They've attacked him for it, saying that he's circumventing Congress. Well, Kamala Harris has already laid out uh, several things she would do through executive power, and, and that includes um, women's reproductive rights, a.k.a. abortion, um, gun control, uh, health care where she can. There's a lot uh, that she has gone on the record saying, especially in the Democratic primary, of which she dropped out before there was ever even a vote. She was not a good candidate. Um, But the party knows that if they can get someone like a Kamala Harris in the executive office building... With someone like a Joe Biden, who, you know, good old Uncle Joe, that's how people refer to him, right? That, y- you know, you don't really even, some, a lot of voters, just your sort of layperson who's not paying attention. You know, Joe's Joe. It's not a big deal. He's got a great story. Um, you know, maybe we can deal with Joe Biden. That's totally fine. I think we can trust Joe Biden, right? That's the thinking. Joe Biden is going to be 78 years old before inauguration. He'll be the oldest president sworn into office if he wins in November. He will be 80 years old before the midterm elections. So it's not a stretch to say that something could happen, Um, and if something does happen, who do you want in the Oval Office? Not who the American people want in the Oval Office, who the DNC wants in the Oval Office, and that's Kamala Harris. The extreme, left-winged Kamala Harris. The Kamala Harris who, when asked by CNN in their town hall uh, if she would do away with private health insurance, said, yep, let's do away with it. The same Kamala Harris that was on stage at the Democratic uh, primaries when asked to the candidates from the moderator, hey, who on stage would do away with private health insurance? Raise your hand. Kamala Harris was one of the hands raised in the air. She's also said that she would do whatever she needed to do as far as executive authority on things like abortion, gun control. She was arm in arm with AOC Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the Green New Deal. This is who the DNC managed to get into that VP pick. And again, that's why I call it a Trojan horse, because it's not Joe Biden. It's Kamala Harris who voters have to decide on between a Kamala Harris administration or President Trump administration. And look, I'm not being naive here. Biden's going to be, if he wins, he's going to be president. He's going to have his chief of staff. He's going to have his staff. He'll have the power. But for how long? Right? That's the question we have to ask. I want to get to a point. Uh, we're going to get back to some of this other stuff. But there was there was one point in the speeches yesterday that I, I just, I literally laughed out loud when I heard it. The speeches were good. I'm not knocking the speeches. They did what they were supposed to do. But there were two things that stood out to me in Kamala Harris's speech that that one rubbed me the wrong way just for factual reasons and the other I just thought as you know if you're the Democrats you missed I think a golden opportunity so to the first point you heard Kamala Harris uh, in her speech talk about or excuse me compare the coronavirus pandemic of 2020 to the Ebola epidemic of 2014. She said, quote, it didn't have to be this way. Six years ago, in fact, we had a different health crisis. It was called Ebola. And we all remember the pandemic, which, by the way, she said, remember that pandemic. I'll get to that. It was not a pandemic. So keep that in mind. She goes on to say, but you know what happened? Barack Obama and Joe Biden did their job. Only two people in the United States died. Two.'" Two. That is what is called leadership," Harris said. So in this speech, she goes in there and tries to compare what we're going through in 2020 to what took place in 2016 or 2014. And by the way, if if I remember correctly, the Obama administration did not do a spectacular job with the Ebola uh, with the Ebola epidemic because if you remember. Then Senator Mark Pryor, who was running against then Congressman Tom Cotton, couldn't even give a straight answer on the on the response to the Ebola epidemic from the uh, Obama administration. He was so uncomfortable giving any sort of uh, kudos to that administration because he knew that they had left quite a bit, you know, on the table and didn't do what they were supposed to do. So this idea that the Obama Biden administration just did a phenomenal job with the Ebola epidemic uh, is just ludicrous. But but I, I keep highlighting epidemic and pandemic for, for a very distinct reason. So I, I want you to track with me here. According to the CDC, epidemic and pandemic are two very different things. Quote, an outbreak is called an epidemic when there is a sudden increase in cases, whereas a pandemic – which is what we are in right now, is a situation where a disease spreads across several countries and affects a large number of people. The coronavirus was labeled an epidemic after those cases spiked in Wuhan, China, where this originated from. But it was upgraded quickly to a pandemic after it spread across the globe. The Ebola virus never met the definition of a pandemic. It was primarily restricted to you know, areas in Africa, such as Guinea, Liberia, Sierra Leone, but it was never a pandemic. And so when, when you start comparing something like a pandemic that has literally shut down countries, has destroyed the American economy, and you compare that to an epidemic where there were two deaths on the Ebola virus in the United States. It did not affect anyone's life. I mean, as far as, you know, the vast majority of Americans went on, probably some don't even remember the Ebola uh, epidemic, but she goes on to basically lay all this responsibility at the feet of, of the Trump administration because she feels that the response to the Ebola epidemic was better than the response to the coronavirus pandemic which are two very, very different things and have had very, very different consequences. This is from Nan Hayworth. Uh, She wrote on Twitter, a medical doctor. She says, there is absolutely no comparison between Ebola and the novel coronavirus or COVID. 2009, H1N1, Obama-Biden abandoned any effort against it months before it faded. They hoped for the best, and per their own uh, uh, czar, Ron Klain got lucky. They said they got lucky because it just basically petered out. Not that they had done anything. The Ebola versus COVID accusation is just absolute nonsense. And I think it shows that the Democratic Party is going to do everything they possibly can, whatever they have to do or say to win this election. And it doesn't have to be truth. She also goes on and says that, you know, this president is in real jeopardy Of leaving office with the highest unemployment rate of any president in the history of our country. Sure. And why is that? Because of a once in a hundred year pandemic that has affected what was before March the strongest economy we've ever had in this nation. By the way, too, you have democratic cities across this country And governor or democratic mayors and cities across the country and governors who have who have done everything they can to continue to keep the economy down. And they'll point to the fact that this is about public safety. We're trying to make sure that our, our citizens are taken care of. But there's also a political part to this that people cannot miss. If the economy continues to falter, it's going to hurt President Trump. Plain and simple. And they know that. So, you have to keep that in mind uh, when when you start hearing the uh, the talking points from the Biden Harris administration and into some of our congressional races throughout the country and Senate races so i, I just I just wanted to point that out this this whole idea that you 're going to lay all the blame for the coronavirus at the feet of the Trump administration is absolutely ludicrous, and I would have loved to know exactly what. A Biden-Harris administration would have done back in March because Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has been around for decades under Democrat and Republican administrations, is still trying to make sense of, of the coronavirus. This is what Dr. Anthony uh, Fauci, uh, the infectious de- disease chief at the National Institutes of Health, said at the time of the Ebola outbreak. Quote, you must remember that the risk of Ebola for the everyday citizen in the United States is extraordinarily low. So Ebola is on the radar screen, but for us is an extraordinarily remote threat. That's what Dr. Anthony Fauci, the same one that basically said, I would love to shut down the country for a time just because, hey, that would help us get back to normal because this is such an infectious virus, disease that can go from one person to the next, it's it's not a remote threat. <clears throat> it's not low risk. It's high risk. This is that same Dr. Anthony Fauci, right? So for them to put that into a speech where they're going to have millions watching just shows you they don't care at all about what the actual facts of the situation are. They're going to misrepresent them from now all the way through November. So just be careful of that. Be cautious. Uh, remember uh, what they're trying to do. We're going to take a break, uh, but when I come back I want to talk to you about the second point that probably was the biggest kind of meat left on the table for the Democrats, and I think it says a whole lot more than just what they didn't say. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. I'm J.R. Davis, filling in for Dave this morning. We are talking about the The Veep Stakes, Uh, Joe Biden coming out this week announcing Kamala Harris as his running mate for the 2020 Democratic ticket. And before the break, I was talking about a a couple of points, the first of two points actually, uh, that I felt were just so strange uh, for different reasons yesterday in Kamala Harris's speech. Um, So... During her speech, she was, you know, it's what you do, right? When you have a VP candidate, you come out and you talk about how great this can't this person is. You tell about their background. We heard that her mom is from, you know, India. Her dad is from Jamaica. They met in the 60s during the civil rights protests. That she's a mom. They call her Mamala. She has two kids. She cooks. I mean, it, it's, and then then she goes through, you know, we're, we're the party for This group, and this group, and this group, and this group, and we're going to do all these things. We're going to bring ourselves together, and this is a coalition of conscience, and we're fighting for the soul of America. And she says all this stuff. And then she goes into the Ebola versus coronavirus uh, comparison to blame the Trump administration. To basically say, uh, (laughs) you know, not only... Uh Did you know is Trump a bad president? But if anybody had been in that office besides Donald Trump, the coronavirus would have never been an issue. That's essentially what she's saying, right? Because she says in her speech that quote, "It didn't have to be this way." Six years ago, in fact, we had a different health crisis. It was called Ebola, and we all remember that pandemic. It was not a pandemic, by the way. But you know what happened then? Barack Obama and Joe Biden did their job. Only two people in the United States died, too. That is what we call leadership. That's what she said during her speech. That is one of the dumbest comparisons I have ever heard, read in my life. Truly, just one of the dumbest comparisons. that I. And I was actually talking to my wife about it. Like, I, how, how can you, like, why in a speech where I assume it's been check, check, recheck, back, check, whatever, right? That you're going to insert this in the middle of a speech and try to draw a comparison to two completely different situations. So for one, and I want to read this to you quickly, I did this last uh, before the break, but for those who just joined us, an epidemic and a pandemic are two very, very distinct and different medical terms. According to the CDC, an outbreak is called an epidemic when there is a sudden increase in cases. That's what we saw right after the coronavirus popped up in Wuhan, China, when it started to spread quickly, right? It was, it was quickly classified by the CDC as an epidemic. A pandemic is a situation where a disease spreads across several countries and affects a large number of people. The coronavirus, after it started spreading, was quickly deemed a pandemic, a global pandemic, affecting countries all across the world including here in the United States. The Ebola virus never met the definition of a pandemic. So in her check, check, fact check, recheck, script, uh, uh, script, speech, they blatantly lied to the American people saying that this was a pandemic. It was never a pandemic. It was basically restricted to African areas such as Guinea, Liberia, Sierra Leone. Uh, the Obama administration, who who also referred to the outbreak as an epidemic, by the way, at that time, right? So she called it pandemic. Conducted entry screenings at major airports on passengers coming from the countries impacted by the disease. That's what they did, right? So this is what's interesting to me. In 2009, the czar, the Obama-Biden, you know, health czar, Ron Klain... Basically said, you know, admitted to the fact that the administration had kind of given up before, uh, you know, even the H1N1 deal had faded. Just hoped for the best and got lucky. The Obama-Biden administration really didn't do anything about Ebola. And you remember back to the 2014 campaign between then-Senator Mark Pryor and then-Congressman Tom Cotton. Mark Pryor was asked about this. I remember this very vividly. He was asked about this by an MSNBC reporter, what his thoughts were on the response of the administration at the time. And he didn't have an answer because there wasn't a good answer. They didn't do a good job. But now you have Kamala Harris up there saying that, you know, they did their job. Trump's not doing their job. Now, I want to take you back. Remember Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, America's doctor, the one who's been out there all the time talking about how this is a crisis that he would actually have been fine for us just to shut the country down for a month, right? That Dr. Fauci? This is what he said at that time in 2014. Quote, you must remember that the risk of Ebola for the everyday citizen in the United States is extraordinarily low. So Ebola is on the radar screen, but for us is an extraordinarily remote threat. That was Dr. Anthony Fauci back in 2014. Wow. It's pretty crazy. And there was an uproar on Twitter yesterday too. A lot of people just saying this is ridiculous. Why in the world would you ever compare these two? Just just absolutely moronic. Um, you know, also by the way, Ebola is not contagious unless you have symptoms and you can't spread it as easily as the coronavirus. So keep that in mind. The other thing I'm going to hit on quickly and then we're going to talk about it after the break is where I felt like the Democrats left something on the table and I think it speaks to the vitriolic nation uh, nature of the way they feel towards people who support Trump or those who even maybe not even like Trump, but just wanted something different and voted for Trump in 2016. Kamala Harris said all of this, right? The, the Ebola versus coronavirus, the economy that's tanked, by the way, because of the coronavirus, which, by the way, the Biden-Harris administration would have done nothing different because no one knew what it was back in March. She said that this is what happens when you elect someone who's not fit to do the job. And they left it at that. The Democratic Party hit on every possible sector of that leftist faction of the Democratic Party and said, we're here for you. But they basically told everyone who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 or anybody but Hillary Clinton that they were wrong, that they were uninformed, that they weren't smart in their pick for 2016. So instead of saying, hey, listen, we heard you in 2016. We're going to be different. We want to be the America, you know, the city on the hill that Reagan pointed to. We want to be different. We hear you. We're going to be an administration for all the people. They didn't say that. And, in fact, they pointed fingers and they blamed people for where we are now, not their own party. Unbelievable. We're going to talk more about that right after the break. This is the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Welcome back. This is J.R. Davis filling in for Dave Ellswick this morning. We've been unpacking a lot from the VP pick of Joe Biden uh, over the last 48 hours, Kamala Harris, the senator from California. It, it, there's a lot that doesn't really make sense about this pick. As well. so there's, and I'm going to get to this in a second. There's a lot that the Democrats uh, are probably going to have to answer for at some point. The idea was, you know, Joe Biden... Uh, again, I've called him the Trojan horse candidate throughout this this radio broadcast because I believe that's what he was. It is. The Democratic Party wants to put a progressive liberal uh, in the Oval Office. Uh, this is their way to do it through a Joe Biden candidacy. Uh, and then, you know, you've got Kamala Harris there in case something goes awry. The man is going to be 78 if he is elected before inauguration, 80 before the midterms. You know. It's rational to, to to think that something could happen, right, between you know his first and fourth year as president. So Kamala Harris, the extreme senator from California, is waiting in the wings to take over uh, the administration if need be, right? So that's the Trojan horse talk there. But there's going to be issues here with the Democrats. I, I think at some point they're going to roll out of cabinet because they feel like that's going to unify the party. They're going to see... You know, it's it's essentially the all-star team, right? The NBA all-star break. You have your, your you know, the best of the best uh, in their minds, right? The West and the East. So the same thing with the Democrats. They're, they're going to basically say it's a sort of team of rivals. I'm sure that's how they're going to pitch it, right? But, you know, roll out a HHS secretary. Who's that going to be? Uh, Treasury secretary. Secretary of State. Where does Bernie Sanders fit into all this? Where does, you know... Uh, Pete Buttigieg, who, by the way, met with Joe Biden in Delaware before the announcement. Uh, where does uh, the senator from Massachusetts uh, fall into place? Um, I'm blanking. Wow, Elizabeth Warren. So, where do these where do these former rivals come into play? I think there's going to be probably a pitch to the American people as far as the cabinet goes um, in the coming days, maybe even at the convention. But here's where I think the Democrats are just off and they pick Kamala Harris because she she looks she's making history. She's the first black female uh, to be added to a ticket for a presidential race. Um, You know, Biden came out shortly after being the presumptive nominee to say, I'm going to pick a female on my ticket after the protests in June and throughout the summer. There was added pressure. To. Joe Biden and his camp to pick a black female to be his running mate. And all of that, we arrived at Kamala Harris. But see, the problem with that, I think it's going to get a little dicey for Democrats, because Kamala Harris, uh, while many have called for her nomination reaction to the Black Lives Matter movement, her politics and her policies are not rooted in that. It's very, very interesting. Now, we all remember back to the debates, right, where she made a big deal about busing and Joe Biden's connection with segregationist senators early on. Uh, But it's very interesting to see exactly what she has supported Now, granted, this is in addition to everything she is extreme-wise, right? She's with AOC on the Green New Deal. She is going to raise taxes through the roof if she ever gets a chance to do so. Uh, Joe Biden's already said she's going to be the last voice in the room, right? So she's going to have some say in some policy decisions. But she's going to tax the American people. She is going to try to push through a Green New Deal of some kind, right? Trillions of dollars. She's already said that if she is president, she would use her executive authority to to do what she wants to do on gun control, make it more difficult. Reproductive rights of women, a.k.a. push-through abortion rights. She, she's She's an extreme of the extreme. However, the Democrats, and this is why I think fundamentally the Democrats are flawed nationally, right? They see that. They're the party of diversity, but they don't do it for the right reasons. They say, oh, Kamala Harris is a black female. Let's put her on the ticket. But she has a policy that does not back up what, and politics that does not back up what the Black Lives Matter movement has been about. Um, Listen to this. This is from Vox. This is a story they put out um, uh, yesterday, or excuse me, this morning, actually, 7.20 a.m., so literally... Twenty-one minutes old. She, they go in, and this is what this is a paragraph I want to read you. She says many of these assertions, and this is all talking about that after George Floyd, uh, there was a pressure on Biden to pick a a black VP. That's a headline from Barrons, and then Boston Globe says Joe Biden already was under pressure to pick a black woman running mate. The outrage over George George Floyd's death adds to it, and then they say many of these assertions rest on the premise that black women remain uniquely equipped to wrangle the racial inequality. Festering in the United States, particularly as protests against police violence continues across the nation. Yet many of the policies and institutions, particularly in the criminal legal system, that have drawn the ire of black activists have Harris's support. By the way, the Biden campaign did not immediately respond to a request for comment from Vox on this. So, for example, on drug policy, black activists have broadly called for more uh, empathy. Empathy, health-based interventions. Uh, just this week, a letter signed by a coalition of Black men pr- pressed this point. Uh, the petition, which pushed a Black that pushed for a Black woman vice president, skewered Biden for not showing more quote remorse for the 1986 and 1988 anti-drug abuse bills, which established mandatory minimum sentencing and subsequently cracked cocaine sentencing disparities, and by his own admission, led to mass incarceration. Listen to this. Yet until at least 2014, Harris supported the criminalization of marijuana, which the ACLU has argued disproportionately harmed minorities. So I don't care whether you agree with it or not. I'm just saying, look, they put someone on the ticket to appease the Black Lives Matter movement, but her policies don't even don't even align with what they believe. This is from uh, Brianna Joy Gray, former press secretary for Senator Bernie Sanders campaign On Democracy Now in Reaction to the Choice of Harris as Biden's running mate. She says, of course this nomination is historic, but something else historic is going on right now. We are in the middle of the largest protest movement in American history. It's a protest movement that's all about finding non-punitive, non-carceral solutions to the kinds of economic problems that are plaguing proportionately black and brown communities. Then she went on to underscore a point. She said, there's a great deal of frustration among activists at the seemingly ironic choice of Kamala Harris as the VP. They say Kamala Harris is someone who has had these criticism leveraged at her throughout her uh, throughout her career very early on. To many people in the activist community, she has done very little to assuage people's concerns about their previous stances or demonstrate the level of growth that we would like to see. Okay, so we talked about, you know, the marijuana and, and the prosecution there. Uh In a New York Times op-ed in 2019, there was a law professor uh, that basically pushed back on Harris's claim that she was a progressive prosecutor, arguing that she was responsible for enforcing regressive policies as California's top cop. Uh, Harris, she says, opposed measures to investigate shootings involving officers. Ding, right? Black Lives Matter, big issue. Appealed a judge's effort to end the death penalty though she said she was against the death penalty, and then, quote, fought tooth and nail to uphold wrongful convictions that had been secured through official misconduct that included evidence tampering, false testimony, and the suppression of crucial information by prosecutors. So when they found that these wrongful convictions were indeed wrongful for a slew of reasons, she pushed back on that. She also... Uh, pushed a policy through for arresting truant parents. Which, again, according to a law professor and civil rights attorney, James Foreman Jr., uh, which he expressed dismay over, harm those who are overwhelmingly poor, black and brown, and struggling. So this is the Kamala Harris that they've decided to put up on the ticket to appease Black Lives Matter, which... I think from the quote you heard from uh, Brianna Joy Gray there, again, formerly with Senator Bernie Sanders, you're starting to see some cracks, right? You're starting to see some cracks already. And I think it just, it's just, it just blows my mind that the Democrats, after all this, just said, you know what? We are the party of diversity, and we're going to do something about it. So instead of actually looking into the policies, they're just going to throw a black female that they feel works up there by Joe Biden and leave it there, right? But I agree. I think these protests, this isn't just your normal protest, right? I and mean, there's a lot of violence, uh, protesters out there, and that's, you know, <laughs> it, it, criminal, right? Should be arrested, prosecuted, et cetera, et cetera. You can't burn down buildings. But to protest something that you want to see change, and I think we saw that across the entire American spectrum, really. I mean, you had... People of all different races, creeds, ethnicities, beliefs saying, hey, something has to change. Black Lives Matter. Uh, then they go put Kamala Harris up there, who has literally the opposite view from those who protested throughout the summer uh, and, and what they want to see changed. But up in her speech yesterday, she literally calls out Black Lives Matter that it's time to, yes, all, you know, Black Lives Matter. But again, it's easy to say the words. Actions speak louder. And what we've seen throughout her career as a prosecuting attorney, as an attorney general, as a senator, says the exact opposite of what the Black Lives Matter protest is all about. So, again, that's going to be something that the Democratic Party has to wrestle with over the next 90 days. Uh, And I think it is going to hurt them. Uh, Because, again, It's what Hillary Clinton tried to do with Bernie Sanders, or I don't know if she even tried to do it, but there was this idea that let's coalesce around the candidate. I think the more of this news gets out there, you're going to have more and more of those, what they assumed would be Democrat voters, come out and vote for a Biden-Harris ticket that are going to be disgruntled, disenfranchised, and may not come out to vote. And it's going to be something they're really going to have to deal with down the stretch here. And as I mentioned before, There is a poll out today, two polls. One is a Harris poll that shows Biden only up four points nationally over Trump. And a Monmouth poll reported on by Politico that has him up 10 points. He's lost a point. Trump's gained two points over the last few days. And before we go to break, keep this in mind. Joe Biden has a similar lead to what Hillary Clinton had At this time in 2016. And that's a national poll. She led the entire election in national polls. So has Joe Biden. What does that mean? Will it be different? Maybe. According to 538, the numbers are very similar. Biden slightly, uh, you know, has a slightly healthier lead. But it ain't safe. And when more news like this comes out, it's going to be tough for Democrats uh, to make it work, in my opinion. We'll be right back after the break. We'll finish up the 7 o'clock hour, and then Seth Mays with the Republican Party of Arkansas will be here to discuss more about the VP pick, and we may discuss a little college football. Welcome back to the Dave Elswick Show. We're finishing up the 7 o'clock hour. At 8 o'clock, we're going to have Seth Mays with the Republican Party of Arkansas. Join us uh, to discuss more about what's happening on the uh, Democratic front uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Republican convention, which will happen uh, later this month. Democrats kick off next week, so there's going to be a lot to discuss. And what has basically been a a uh, uh, just a strange year in and of itself. But we're we're finally closing in on the home stretch of the elections. So we'll talk to Seth about that. We'll also talk a little bit about college football, just for kicks, right? Um, you know, politics is politics. Sometimes it can get a bit much, but college football, right? We all look forward to college football, uh, or at least most of us, right? Um, Towards the end of August, looking forward to those kickoff games, uh, conference versus conference. So that's not happening this year, but after the Big Ten and the Pac-12 decided that they were going to postpone all fall sports until the spring, uh, a lot of uh, sports um, analysts, pundits uh, thought that you know a lot of these other uh, the other three Power Five conferences are gonna follow suit, right? The ACC, the SEC, and the Big Twelve, and I think probably most thought maybe the Big Twelve will be the next one to to fall. The funny part about all that is the SEC and ACC basically said, "Look, we're getting the same medical information, and our folks are telling us we can move forward." And we're going to move forward until, you know, something else happens. But right now we feel confident in our plan. Yesterday, the Big 12 came out and said, look, hey, ditto. We're going to follow the ACC, the SEC. We feel comfortable with this. We're getting the same information. If the Big 10 and the, big, or in the Pac-12 want to do something different, more power to you. Here's what's interesting about all this. You've already had two prominent Big 10 coaches come out and say, hey, we want to play football. Scott Frost with Nebraska, which is actually funny because Nebraska used to be with the Big 12. Boy, I wonder if they're regretting that at this point. Uh, He said they want to play. He wants to play. The players want to play. This is what they work their entire off-seasons for. They only get so many years. And a lot of this is about the future for these players, too. Do they get a chance to play at the next level? So Scott Frost came out before the decision and said, look, we're we're going to try to play however we can. If we have to schedule outside a conference, we're going to try to play. Now, you can talk about the bylaws of the Big Ten if they're able to do that or not, but that's Scott Frost, an up-and-coming coach there at Nebraska, says they're going to do whatever they can to play. Then you had Ryan Day, the head coach of Ohio State, come out after the decision, and you could tell just from his comments, he's furious, and said, look, if, if we have to push off to the spring, then I want games scheduled in January. Let's do this immediately. Let's do this before my players are forced to go to You know, or before the draft happens, that they can at least get some pub before then, right? That's what we promise them to do when they come here, that we'll give them an opportunity to learn, to be educated, to get a degree. And also, if you want to play in the NFL, we're going to give you every opportunity to do so. They're not going to get that time this fall in the Big Ten or the Big 12, or in the Pac-12. This is going to have consequences, in my opinion, for the foreseeable future for at least two of these conferences. And maybe even on the transfer portal... Where you're going to have some players say, look, if I go play for the Pac-12 or the Big Ten, I may not get to play football. They folded quicker than a cheap suit. We'll see what happens uh, as we approach the kickoff times dates for the SEC, ACC, and Big 12. Maybe things change. You know, Maybe they don't. But at least to the player's perspective, their conferences are trying, right? They're doing everything they can to at least give them an opportunity to get on the field. And I think it's going to matter in recruiting. I think the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are going to struggle as a result of this. Not forever, but they're going to take a hit. I think you have the presidents of those colleges to say, we, we just don't care. It's all about the student safety. I think there's always a greedy part to all this, right? Even on the SCC, ACC, Big 12 side of things, it's about the money, uh, but they hide behind the fact that they want the students to have a chance. On the other side, it's about you know pleasing their their astute in the academia space, right? That we're doing the right thing. The problem is it's the same information from these medical doctors. They're just basically, you know, translating it differently. It's just going to be interesting. We'll talk more about that uh, on the other side of the break at eight o'clock. Seth Mays with RPA, Republican Party of Arkansas is going to join me. We're going to talk mostly about the vice presidential uh, news coming out the last 48 hours with Kamala Harris. We'll talk about the conventions uh, that are going to start to kick off next week with the Democrats first, um, and then we may get back into the football stuff. If you have any thoughts at all, call us 501 823 0965. 501 823 0965. Give us your thoughts, whether it's politics, sports, or if you just have a random thought, we want to hear it on this Thursday morning. We'll be right back. Welcome, welcome, welcome into the Dave Ellswick Show. Dave is off today, he had surgery yesterday. He's doing better. Um, I'm Jr. Davis. I'm filling in this morning. We've got a lot, or uh, excuse me, filling in today. We've got a lot to discuss, including the vice presidential pick of Joe Biden, uh, which everyone's talking about, especially over the last 48 hours. We saw the first... Uh, Event, if you want to call it that. It was an empty gym in Delaware. Um, Very, very odd. But that's where Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, were first seen together after the announcement. They both had fairly lengthy speeches. Um, There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I'm welcoming Seth Mays from the Republican Party of Arkansas. He joins me this morning uh, uh, via phone. Seth, how are you doing, first of all?
1: Hey, good, JR. Good morning to you. And by the time this airs, uh, good early evening to the viewers there driving home at 6 o'clock.
0: Yeah, and to that point, I don't know that a whole lot's going to change uh, from you know morning to evening as far as sort of people unpacking this pick by Joe Biden. I don't think it was surprising. Uh, I think it's always been sort of a Kamala Harris or someone else, right? It's always been her name and then someone else. Um, I, you know, Seth, something I've I've kind of talked about a lot is the fact that it feels like this Joe Biden, the further we go along, this Joe Biden nomination is a Trojan horse for the DNC. And I say that because, look, we saw yeah. what happened in the primary where, you know, Biden was dead man walking, and then South Carolina happened. People dropped out. And before he knew it, he was the presumptive nominee, but we were just... We were maybe a couple of more elections, you know, primary elections away from a Bernie Sanders nomination. Uh, and that's not what the DNC wanted, not because they don't believe what Bernie Sanders is saying, but they know that he is unelectable. So, hey, let's put Joe Biden, girl, yeah. Uncle Joe, uh, you know, the America trusts Joe. He's been around. He's not crazy. Um, and then let's put someone like a Kamala Harris Uh, in the VP spot, where he's going to be 78 at inauguration if he wins, 80 before the midterms. So there's a legitimate rationale to think that something's going to happen to Joe Biden, that he may not even make it through his first four years in office, and you've got extremist Kamala Harris waiting in the wings. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, like you said, JR, there is a lot to unpack uh, with this pick. Joe Biden himself has referred to his candidacy as a transition that he Mm -hmm. would be a transitional president and i think all the voters out there just need to ask themselves transition to what right okay if if he's admitting that he's the transition he's saying he's the corner we're walking down one hallway we get to the corner joe biden what does he intend for the other hallway to be all right but just a bit more perspective on this pick you know democrats love senators as their vice presidential pick Uh, In fact, Democrats have in the 21st century, every running mate has been a senator from Joe Lieberman in 2000 to Kamala Harris here in 2020. The vice presidential pick for the Democrats has always been a senator. In fact, back to Calvin Coolidge in the 1920s, to go back 100 years ago, Democrats with two caveats and one exception have always had a U.S. senator on the ticket, the caveats being McGovern and FDR who FDR having multiple VPs and uh, George McGovern having his first uh, vice president, Tom Eagleton, drop off the ticket. Uh, The only exception to Democrats in the last 100 years having a senator on the ticket was the first woman nominated as vice president, Geraldine Ferraro, with Walter Mondale in 1984. So when you look at the parameters, and I heard you talk about him this morning, that Joe Biden laid out that his vice president has to be a woman and that a woman of, of color seemed almost inevitable, A, because of the time that we're in after the George Floyd murder, but B, when you look at how Joe Biden got the nomination, the sort of phoenix from the ashes in South mm-hmm. Carolina after the endorsement of uh, Jim Clyburn, longtime uh, congressman there, and, and and the whip for the United States Congress. So, when you factor all that in and Democrats' propensities to have what they see as a governing pick, a senator, somebody that has relationships within the caucus, really Kamala Harris is the only one that meets right. um, all of those characteristics laid out. And so it's it's sort of the most conventional pick, and and ironically, a historic pick. That, and I don't know that you see that a lot in, in politics, that conventional wisdom is the first time something's been done. But Kamala is a chameleon. She will, whatever room she is in, she will adapt to. She That's signed right. on to Bernie Sanders, Medicare for all at first. When Bernie, hey, as he said on the debate, he wrote the bill. All right. He had some some other language he used in there. <laughs> uh, she that was an untenable position for her to adopt anymore because it, it wasn't her proposal. Yeah. Then she took Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, Medicare for all who want it, sort of Medicare for all light, Okay, but he and Amy Klobuchar have that staffed out. So then she just said, "Hey, let's protect Obamacare." So she right. herself had three healthcare positions in the primary, and, and with the days we have left to the general election, I think flip flop is an understatement.
0: No, that's exactly right, and I love your analogy of you know the hallway, uh, and that's exactly what I think a lot of people were wondering. Okay, so Joe has said himself that he's a transitional, uh, you know, candidate president. Uh, so. Now we know what that hallway is going to look like, and and it's going to be a. This is the party of the future, the party of now, right? For the DNC, that this is their opportunity to get in power again, get the White House back, and then do whatever they want to do with it. Um, because again, I just don't look. This is not peddling any sort of rumor or or going out there saying, oh well, Joe's sick or you know what. But it, it's a perception, right? And, and when you see him on TV, you know I, I joked earlier. Uh, in this show that uh, it was funny to me because Joe gave a good speech yesterday. But it, by by what measure, right? Like, what what's the, like, it's a, we're all grading on a curve here with Joe. It's like when he gets a coherent thought put together and finishes it, and it's a sentence, everybody's like, wow, great job, Joe. Fantastic. Well,
1: you know, the difference yesterday was that Joe Biden had a teleprompter, And all of the preceding months that we have seen him, he's been in his basement looking into a webcam and there's no script. It's a one on one interview. But there were two teleprompters used yesterday, which would have been the first time we've seen Joe Biden do that. And like you said, it came off better. But that was not exactly a high bar to cross, given what we've seen.
0: Well, yeah. And right to your point, uh, I made this earlier that he's been sitting in a basement in Delaware for months I mean, the guy, you know, should be well hydrated and and rested and and should be able to give a speech with a teleprompter in front of him. And I think that's what we saw yesterday. You know, to the point of you saying that, you know, Kamala, the chameleon, right, that can basically do and say whatever she needs to to please the audience she's in front of. It's the same thing. And I talked about this right before uh, you came on was, you know, her policies Uh, As far as, you know, her her criminal justice policies as a district attorney, prosecutor, attorney general, and even a senator to some degree, um, that the Democrats, and this is where I just think they're always so short-sighted on this stuff, Seth, but it's like she, she, to your point, she met some of the criteria, most specifically, she was a female, she's a black female, she needs to be on the ticket. But when she spoke yesterday about the Black Lives Matter movement... You know, you, you heard that she specifically yes. said, and yes, Black Lives Matter, the 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 policies she put in place are to the polar opposite end of what the Black Lives Matter protests uh, are all about. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you had a former spokesperson for Bernie Sanders basically say this is an ironic pick and we're not happy about it. I'm paraphrasing it, but that's right. essentially you're already seeing the cracks in the foundation that the Democrats were hoping to shore up. Uh, like they were hoping to do in 2016. And I think this is going to be an issue in the fall.
1: No, I think you're absolutely right. In the stark contrast between where the Democrat base is right now and their presidential ticket is the author of the crime bill and an aggressive prosecutor. She'll say she was a progressive prosecutor, but that, that simply isn't true. You mentioned she said she was against the death penalty Uh, but appealed a decision that that would have banned it. She put uh, thousands of kids in jail, young adults in jail for smoking marijuana. But when asked about it in an interview earlier this year, of course she was running for president. She laughed and said that she had smoked marijuana as a kid. And and of course cited some music selections that were not out when she was in college at the proposed time that, uh, that she did inhale to quote a, a former president from Arkansas. So uh, no, it, it is quite a stark tra- contrast what the Democrat base is asking for today and who they have in Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on the ticket. And again, to your point, it, it isn't conspiracy. Look at Joe Biden in 2008 debating Sarah Palin. Look at him in 2012 debating Paul Ryan. And then let's compare that with what we hope are three debates. Uh, this fall we have no doubt that president trump is eager to participate in those debates the doubt is will joe want to participate will he use the virus and you know well i don't want to debate by a webcam that would throw off the dynamic to respond so i think it's best we just leave this up to the voters does he try and pull a stunt like that to get out of a public appearance what we have seen is clearly contrasted to uh, the joe biden as vice president and it's ironic because Barack Obama. Selected him in part because Joe Biden, in theory, wasn't going to run for president. He would not upstage Barack Obama. That was 12 years ago. Right. All right. Barack Obama thought he was too old to run for president 12 years ago, and that was a, a one of the <laughs> reasons to pick him. He would not upstage you. And here we are with Joe Biden in 2020.
0: No, that's right. We're going to unpack more of this uh, right after the break. I've got Seth Mays with the Republican Party of Arkansas. We're also going to talk a little convention. Both Democrat and Republican coming up right after the break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm J.R. Davis filling in for Dave. I got Seth Mays with the Republican Party of Arkansas joining me uh, to talk about the Veep Stakes, uh, the announcement from Joe Biden uh, naming Kamala Harris as his running mate, the senator from California. Seth, we've talked about it. She's making history. She's the first. um, uh, She is the first. Uh, black female to be on a ticket uh, as for vice president. So she's making history. Uh, I don't know that she's the candidate that a lot of people or the nominee uh, for vice president that a lot of people uh, kind of assume that she is um, just because of some of the, uh, you know, the policies that she has stood for in the past. And I'm not talking about the crazy left extremist, you know, uh, Green New Deal Raising taxes, as you mentioned, Medicare for all, even though she's flip flopped on that, uh, but I'm talking about a lot of some of her uh, policies when she was the district attorney in San Francisco, Attorney General of California, and you've got all this sort of like juxtaposition with what she's stood for in the past versus you know what the Black Lives Matter uh, has protested throughout the summer months. It's just to me, you know to pick up where we left off, it just feels like this is going to turn into an issue for the Democrats. Am I wrong?
1: No, I I think you are correct on that. It's very interesting, the criminal justice issue and Kamala Harris's past and how that will play into the 2020 election, in particular with the African-American community, which does largely vote, of course, for Democrats up and down the ballot. But if President Trump shaves off just a few more percentage points than Republicans get on average, Uh, Or a lot um, in states like Michigan and in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, particularly in the suburbs of Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, that can make a huge difference. And the president does have a track record to run on. You know, I believe in credit where credit is due. And Senator Tim Scott um, from the state of South Carolina, one of three, including Kamala Harris, black United States senators, Tim Scott both wrote the Opportunity Zone section of the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. He also, of course, authored the First Step Act in criminal justice reform. So President Trump and Vice President Pence do have a record to go uh, off of for not only the African-American community, but all communities that are disproportionately affected. And, and Joe Biden has the crime bill, all right, and, and Kamala Harris has her record uh, as, a, as a prosecutor. So it is a little, uh, not a little, it's, it's quite out of touch, as we talked about in, in the last uh, segment there, with where the Democratic base is. And you got to wonder how that will infect enthusiasm, particularly among young people heading into November.
0: Yeah, I think part of what the, uh, I agree with all that, and I think part of what the Trump administration, the Trump campaign needs to do over the next 90 days is you know, do what they can to paint her as an opportunist, because that's exactly what she is. And I mean, I'm looking at Fox News right now, and they're saying critics are already hitting her for flip-flopping on the key issues that you spoke about earlier. Uh, really, the biggest one being health care. I think she's literally showing the American people that she will do and say whatever she needs to do and say to get elected. Uh, and, and yep. she and, you know, and again, unlike someone like a Barack Obama, uh, we know where she stands on these issues. Right. I mean, we know she has a lengthy track record on on some of these things. That's going to be very hard for her to kind of walk away from or explain away. Um, And I think that, you know, this isn't the this isn't the elections of years past. Right. Where, you know, that you have sort of these tried and true Democrat voters that are going to vote for whatever, you know, nominee is, you know, whatever candidates nominated these are these are young millennials uh, out on the streets protesting that aren't are gonna see through this right that are gonna see through this and be like I don't want this isn't who I want just because you just because she's a black female does not mean she stands for what I stand for just because he was the first or just because he was the first vice president to a black president doesn't mean that he stands for what I stand for I just think this they're, they're gonna have to do something about this. And I think it's a good opportunity for the Trump campaign to capitalize
1: on. Right. And the Biden campaign strategy is just going to be to gaslight. I mean, we've already seen that. You remember the you ain't black comment that Joe Biden made, Mm -hmm. Um, which ironically was, I believe, on the same uh, radio station that Kamala Harris laughed about smoking weed after talking about uh, jailing people that did in California. It was the same program, interestingly enough. But one of the things we haven't talked about Uh, We've alluded to it, why Joe Biden picked Kamala Harris, is that she can go on TV and be aggressive. And when somebody reaches out to the campaign staff, to Joe Biden, and you know this, having worked in communications very well, that when somebody reaches out, CBS This Morning, Fox News Sunday, whoever, reaches out and says, we'd like an interview with the former vice president – they can say, well, he's he's sort of tied up and not going to be able to do that. But but uh, Kamala Harris, senator from California, VP nominee, she can do it. And, and that is a huge asset to the Biden campaign as somebody who has been in front of the TV camera. Yep. And, and that is something that folks like Susan Rice sort of lacked in the VP processes. She's been in, in high stakes situations and negotiations with foreign leaders but she hasn't done you know, all of the right. Sunday shows and morning shows and talk politics issues from abortion to foreign policy, right? She she knew what her topics would be, Susan Rice, and Kamala Harris was one of the only people on the short list, maybe aside from Tammy Duckworth, a senator from Illinois, who had a depth on issues, and like you said, not only depth, but a voting record on those issues. We know where she is, but she can do what Biden can't, which is be the face of this campaign moving forward.
0: Well, I think it's funny because, look, to your point... It's a great asset for the Biden camp to have her to push her on these shows. And that'll be, you know, she's sort of like the the, the shiny object in the room, right, where, you know, media is going to want her. They're fine with that for now. They're going to want to talk to her. But at some point, if they keep pushing her on these shows, it's going to agitate the already biased media that would like to see Joe Biden elected president and, and just yep. kick Trump out of office. But it is going to start to bother them, and they're going to start digging in, and they're going to start asking questions, and I think they're already doing this. In fact, some of the information that I was reading this morning came from a Vox dot com article that was posted this morning and the title said kamala harris is a politician not an activist is an awkward fit for this moment while many have called for harris's nomination in reaction to black lives matter movement her policies are not rooted there Th- that's already happening this is less than 24 hours after their first event together i, I just i think these are going to be questions that she has to deal with and it's going to take a lot of the you know spotlight off of joe biden for president and more so on who is Kamala Harris and what does she actually believe? You know, what will she say? What will she do just in order to, you know, make ends meet? Right. I mean, so I just think at some point uh, while they see this as a, a nice uh, tool to have throughout the campaign, it, they have to be very careful with how they use it. Cause I do think things are going to shift.
1: No, I I agree with you. The other thing uh, in particular Uh, on Kamala Harris as as a VP selection, too, to the larger conversation about just being out of touch. She, of course, is is from California, not necessarily a state that's going to be in jeopardy. Joe Biden from Delaware. And and we talk about this Trojan horse and and the transition candidate. Um, It's very clear this is who they want to be in the face of the Democratic Party, somebody who will flip flop and be a chameleon no matter what room. Uh, That you put her in. And when you look at somebody like AOC, we talked about the conventions earlier, alluded to them. AOC will have a primetime speaking spot next week. And if we're in a transition phase, these are transition candidates, candidates that don't have any ideological core, will just go wherever the party wants them to. They don't have beliefs in their core that they hold to. It really makes you wonder, and you don't have to wonder. They almost don't leave anything to the imagination. Yep. They're going to choreograph next week where they want the party to go with this transition candidate and Joe Biden.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and again, I just uh, – we're going to – we are – I want to talk right after the break. We've got about 20 seconds. Uh, I want to talk about the uh, convention kicking off next week with the Democrats and then, and then what we can expect with the Republicans after that. Um, but again, I agree with you. I just think, look, this is their opportunity to shove someone who dropped out of the race before a vote was ever even cast in the primary, but that fits the DNC's agenda and the future of the party. Uh, it, they're doing this without a vote ever being taken on Kamala Harris. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick show on this Thursday. I'm J.R. Davis filling in for Dave this morning. I'm joined by Seth Mays with the Republican Party of Arkansas. We're talking about... Uh, Kamala Harris, the vice presidential pick from Democratic nominee Joe Biden. Uh, Again, we talked about there's it's just too much to unpack in in one hour, Seth. Um, But uh, obviously, we're going to continue to talk about this. She's going to there's there's going to no doubt be some sort of slip up or gaffe or something from either the the presidential nominee or his vice presidential nominee. There's just too much out there. Uh, And if there's not. Again, I just think that underscores the fact that the mainstream media is incredibly biased. By the way, did you know, Seth, that yesterday, they haven't done this for Trump in eons. Every network, and I'm not just talking about the, the big networks you can find on your satellite dish or whatever. Every broadcast partner, every media outlet took the both speeches in their entirety yesterday. And I, I'm just telling you, I just think that there's, there's a sort of baked... Uh, Uh, you know, feeling in mainstream media for this candidacy, uh, which we'll be interested to see how that plays out over the next couple of weeks.
1: No, you're, you're right. And and talking about, obviously the the irony in carrying both speeches from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris yesterday was the president of the United States spoke within the half hour after that. uh, And they did not choose to carry that. Most of the networks with the exception of Fox, when Kamala Harris was announced on MSNBC Claire McCaskill was speaking with Brian Williams. She breaks in just to instant applause, and Brian Williams says, I just want to let all the viewers know that those are the opinions of Claire McCaskill and nobody else. But he didn't really sound that disheartened with, sure. <laughs> with the applause for in the, the studio. Something you said right before the break was Kamala Harris had dropped out even before Iowa. She ran, I think objectively, probably the worst campaign of 2020, I say that because dozens of staffers of her went anonymously for a piece. I believe in the Times or the Post uh, about how horrible the campaign was. That there was no core, there was no anchor. Staffers didn't know what were going on, what to say on what policies. Uh, Kamala was pretty absent from the campaign headquarters, uh, and, and there was just no leadership. Similar to Joe Biden, who ran horrible campaigns in 1988 and in 2008. But yet, nevertheless, was, as Kamala Harris is now, selected by the nominee, sort of flipped from the obscurity of their horrible uh, campaigns. To the tone of the media, though, if you thought they rejoiced in Kamala Harris's nomination this week, uh, wait for a week from today when on Wednesday night she gives the acceptance speech as vice president. If you, if you think the fanfare hasn't started yet, it's certainly on the way.
0: Oh, I agree with you completely. I think also what's really funny. I was just looking at the first night Monday uh, who they have speaking. Uh first of all, John Kasich. I mean, honestly, like yeah. it, you know, <laughs> the idea, I love it that like forever everyone's just like John Kasich is basically a Democrat. He's a Democrat. Nah, he's basically a Democrat. And then of course yep. he accepts an invitation to speak at the Democratic National Convention. Ridiculous. The other one was Doug Jones <laughs> is is that a great idea? Is like, Doug Jones, is that really what you think you need to do in your Senate race to go and speak at the Democratic National Convention uh, mm-hmm. from Alabama? Like, that's that's the stage you want to be on uh, Monday night. And and here here's just the lineup for for Monday night. You've got, you know, look, former First Lady Michelle Obama. Then you go to Bernie Sanders. Uh, we'll throw some out. But Andrew Cuomo, Governor Gresham Whitmer, Clyburn uh convention chairman uh benny thompson john Kasich, doug jones amy klobuchar like is that it like who is running doug jones's campaign that says hey listen if you really want to win re-election in the state of alabama you really need to accept a speaking slot at the democratic national convention
1: in particular if they can put him between the governor of new york and the independent socialist senator from Vermont. That would be just great optics to stick him, wedge him right between those two. I, I think it it will work great. No, in, in the preceding lineups in the following nights, I'm, I've got the same list pulled up. I'm looking here yeah. at night two. You have Bill Clinton. I guess we're going to welcome him back into the Democratic Party. I thought in the last two years they decided to get rid of him. But uh, like Hillary, he's back. So he'll be there. Chuck Schumer will be there on the second night. Uh, And AOC, of course, will probably be one of the most watched uh, people there on that second night. She is still going to nominate uh, Bernie Sanders at the official convention proceedings uh, just to go through the pomp and circumstance of everything that has to officially take place in these conventions. Perhaps the only thing worse than that lineup on night one with Sanders and Cuomo and Gretchen Whitmer is night three, which has Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, and Elizabeth Warren all together. I, I just think. think.
0: I mean, are we seriously like, like? Uh, it it almost feels like they're just literally throwing everything at the wall. You know, just this is this is who we are. This is the Democratic Party. We're all inclusive. We have every uh, a little bit of everything. But also, doesn't it just feel weird that the Clintons, given like you know all the conspiracy theories floating around and everything going on, this being like the party of the Me Too movement, right? Like all of this right. Me Too stuff happens. After 2016, Bill Clinton comes under fire for all of that, right? Like even when he's doing his book tour with James Patterson, like it, they're asking him questions about this. Yep. But now so the party of me too, right? It, right, that's how I'm sure they, they they would like to address themselves. Now has Bill Clinton giving a speech in the Democratic National Convention. Is it that difficult just not just not to have Bill Clinton give give a speech? Is that just And then on top of that, you've got Joe Biden, who had all that stuff swirling around him and, and the inappropriateness of his actions and things like that. And then, of course, you've got those stalwarts, you know, Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi, who are all about, you know, bashing Kevin Kavana- Kavanaugh because we need to believe the story of these women until it's right. Bill Clinton and Joe Biden. And then it's like, well, no, no, no. We believe Bill Clinton and Joe Biden.
1: Well, and it, we never even got yet to this point, which. You know, hopefully, the media will a little tongue in cheek there to the fact that yes, Kamala Harris did call Joe Biden a racist on the debate stage. She also said that she believed Tara Reid, the former mm-hmm. staffer for Joe Biden, who said that he sexually assaulted her mm-hmm. in a hallway in in their Senate office. Um, and that is, we talk about Kamala Harris being the face of TV. It would just be journalistic malpractice. If the first two questions to Kamala Harris, when she finally will sit down for an interview, notice they did not take questions in their hour rollout yesterday. Neither one of them took questions. They uh, did awkward to the side photo op, which you just have to do in in the age of COVID. And then they left, stuck on their mask and left. Of course, questions were shouted, but no answers were given. The first two questions to Kamala Harris have to be on the charges she has made against Joe Biden, that she believes Tara Reid's sexual assault allegations, and that as it pertained to busing and and speaking lightly of former segregationist senators uh, that she insinuated, but whatever is the next step after insinuation before just blatantly saying, let's say heavily insinuated that Joe Biden is a racist. Those ought to be the first two questions. I'll hold my breath. Uh, that those are the first two questions
0: oh yeah and that's what when you when just the very beginning of her speech you know uh again i'm not i'm not a a schmuck and someone who's just gonna say you know like every oh it's just a terrible you saw a bunch of tweets like this is such a boring speech it's terrible it wasn't the speeches weren't bad the speeches were fine but there were just the disingenuous aspects of the speech like when she starts praising him for being uh, uh, you know Basically, in some ways, right, like a leader of the of the civil rights movement, right that that he's right. the first he's the first man to be VP to a black president, and he's the first presidential nominee to to uh, you know n- to appoint a, vi- a black female vice president. Like this man is just unbelievable. Such a stark contrast from the primary where she just, like you said, lambasted him, and the same thing again talking about Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris they they believe I love this I've seen some of these headlines but like they believed their stories meaning these women who alleged these incidences they believed them until they didn't and and that's where I just think again the democratic party they love to act like they have this like moral high ground right that that equality and We're going to stand for, you know, this Me Too movement and that, you know, that these women need to be heard and and that we're going to stand up and make things right. And it's time to bring this country together and yada, 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 yada. But they literally pick Kamala Harris, black female, just to check some boxes because her policies don't match up with what they're trying to do with the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. That's one. The other thing is uh, these 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 Democratic women leaders in their party, the Speaker of the House you know, the what they call the next vice president of the United States are are saying, Well, we believe these stories of these women until our guy got the nomination and this is only really our path to the White House, so actually we don't believe them anymore. It's all just so disingenuous. And and one thing I want to bring up really quickly, Seth, you saw this. When she brings up the comparison with the Ebola virus and the coronavirus, like was that not one of the most ridiculous things you have ever yeah. heard in a speech?
1: Yeah, but that that will be the the storyline as it relates to how Joe Biden would have handled COVID. Of course, he he opposed the China ban and then later took a position that, well, maybe he would have done it. And now his position today is Donald Trump should have been more aggressive and done it sooner. Right, in right. that respect, he and Kamala were a perfect match. If you can if you can flip three times on the same issue in a month, that's sort of a talent. That's a skill, and that is yeah. what they share together.
0: Well, in that speech, too, look, they check, check, fact check, read check. I've said that all morning, that, like, these speeches, they, they go through that, right, to make sure they're correct. She says in her speech that... uh that she basically says that this is a that she calls it a pandemic right she calls the the uh we all remember that pandemic talking about the ebola and saying that it would have been handled differently if it was a different administration it was never a pandemic it was never classified right. as a pandemic it was so different from what we're dealing with now and then to say only two people died versus 160,000 plus individuals like it is the most unbelievable statement like why they left that in there like, you could have made the charge on Trump or however you wanted to, but to put that in there, I think to most people, like, well, that seems a little ridiculous. Like, I don't remember the Ebola virus. Like, was that a thing? Was that a huge deal? And yep. you remember Mark Pryor. By the way, mm-hmm. they couldn't – Democrats had a struggling time defending what the Obama administration did on Ebola. You remember that?
1: Yep, yep. And,
0: and so now, all of a sudden, this revisionist history that they did a great job with it. It's unbelievable. Um, All right, Seth, we've got one more segment left. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about the Republican convention, what we can expect uh, right after the break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show, our final segment for today. I'm joined with Seth Mays from the Republican Party of Arkansas. Uh, We are talking about uh, the Democrat and Republican national conventions that are almost upon us. Democrats will go next week, and then we've got the Republican – National Convention that kicks off in about 10 days. Seth, uh, kind of give us a you know update on what's happening uh, with the Republican National Convention and what we can expect.
1: Sure. As you said, the Democrats will be next week. Their convention location is Milwaukee. I don't know enough about the Democrat Convention to talk about the inner workings. If they're like, we are in the Republican Party. Delegates will still go to Milwaukee carrying proxies. Uh, to do the legal work that is required to actually nominate somebody for president. We do know that Joe Biden is expected to give his remarks from Delaware. If that's in the basement or the studio or live or recorded, that is all to be seen. So stay tuned. For the Republicans, we will, a week from this coming Monday, meet in Charlotte, North Carolina. To be technical, we're holding a Rule 37E convention, rules that were put in place uh, following the hurricanes uh, that displaced our convention in 08, I believe it was. They had rescheduled McCain's uh, convention speech to be a couple days later uh, because the national attention was on a hurricane, not in Minnesota, in St. Paul, but uh, towards Florida. So we will hold a technical convention a week from Monday to do the legal work to nominate the president, and then the convention will play out similar to the Democrats in prom time uh, Monday through Thursday, With the president giving his speech, presumably on Thursday, he has narrowed down two locations. He's either going to give that speech from the White House uh, or up at Gettysburg, where perhaps he might, in an outdoor setting, have a a live audience. Uh, All of those details for Joe Biden, we do not know. We know more about the president's acceptance speech two weeks from now than we do Joe Biden's speech a week from now. Uh, But largely for most folks, this convention will play out as it has In previous years with primetime addresses, uh, they're just a lot going to be in empty studios and and no live applause.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, I certainly think that's going to take away from the Democratic National Convention. Some people will watch. But there is – I mean, it's hard to give a speech, a rousing speech. It doesn't matter who you are, um, including Michelle Obama. Like, it's going to be tough to give speeches without any sort of audience or any audience participation. Here's what I think – was a mistake uh, from yesterday if I was the Biden campaign and look they're doing things for obvious reasons probably because their their candidate is struggling on you know uh, sort of uh, in-person live sort of events I know that was live yesterday but I mean with people that sort of thing questions but they've set the stage right Seth to have some sort of stark contrast that they're going to run this campaign and they're going to do it According to the health guidelines of medical experts, right? And so, what you're well, going to see is if they stay true to that, that they're going to run the rest of this campaign, as you mentioned, from a basement, uh, from studios across the nation, probably heavily digital, on air, that sort of thing. And you're going to see the opposite of the Trump campaign. I, I just is uh, wherever he can. I mean, you know, it uh, is wherever Trump can can get an audience, he's going to do it, and, and he's going to try to rouse the base. Uh, get them excited, and that's the way they're going to run this campaign. I think the Democrats have left themselves open to once again flip-flopping uh, and contradicting themselves uh, because at some point they've got to get out there, right? Like you can't run; it doesn't matter what's happening in the country as far as a p- pandemic goes. Like you, you just can't run that kind of a race nationally, uh, looking into a webcam every single day versus going out there, you know, getting fresh B-roll. Uh, of of the candidate out there talking to reporters, giving speeches. I mean, am I wrong?
1: No, you're right. And as we enter the last few moments for today's broadcast, one question we ought to ask ourselves in this age, because of the campaign Biden-Harris will run, do we see Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the same room between now and election night? because I think they are prone to Kamala Harris running the VP operations from a studio in California, and Joe Biden isn't going to leave Wilmington, Delaware. They certainly will take any excuse to not hold a a public rally or a gathering, whereas the president will try whatever unconventional means for an unconventional election. But I don't know that we see the Democrat ticket together between now and election night.
0: That's a very good point. And and for Trump it's sort of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you either uh if you go out there and you hold rallies, why are you doing this is terrible. If you don't, you know, basically you're playing into what he considers the hands of of the media and the Democrats. The the Democrats, I just feel like they they're they're it's going to be very difficult uh to run a race where, you know, you're you're not willing to go out there and and to the public and and there's just a certain amount of energy that comes from that right to to your supporters uh to people that come to the rally i mean just in general even the media there's an energy that come with these sort of campaign rallies and stump speeches and things like that that, that the democrats are just going to completely miss out on and you know again I, I i don't know uh what's good what's not good uh because this is just a different sort of deal we're all dealing with but it's, I just think they've set a dangerous sort of, uh, uh, you know, ninety day schedule for themselves because I just I, I think you got to get out there, and I don't think they're going to, or they're subject to to flip flopping on what they said originally.
1: Right, and there is definitely an enthusiasm gap between the two campaigns. We know that. So if you're already running a deficit on the topic of enthusiasm. Maybe it is to your benefit to use every excuse to not be seen in front of a crowd, because the enthusiasm just isn't going to be there as it was for Obama in 08 and 012. You know, Hillary didn't run an enthusiastic campaign, but there were a lot of people that wanted to see a woman as president. Uh, There is just not any fervor at all, not on an 08 magnitude or even on the lesser 2016 magnitude for Joe Biden. It's well, OK, maybe Joe can win. Sure, I guess I'm for him if I have to be. Right. But th- there is just no enthusiasm. So I, I wouldn't be too sure that the Biden campaign isn't a little relishing the fact that they don't have to do the typical public campaign events. You will not see Joe Biden thinking outside of the box. That's true. For ways to be in public. OK, <laughs> he's not right. not being in public.
0: No, that's a very good point. And I do think this actually plays well for them as far as the actual you know candidate they have. I don't think it necessarily helps them, uh, like again with the energy that we're talking about, but you're right. Uh I think a typical campaign swing for Joe Biden would be too much for him. And I think we'd see it. I think he'd be confused yeah. what state he was in, who he was talking to, what he was running for, and I don't know, probably who he picked for VP. Uh and so it probably does play you know, their their campaign's probably like, oh, this is not too bad for us and we're just gonna we're gonna hitch our wagon to the health guidelines and You know, if we lose, it wasn't because we did anything that we weren't supposed to do. I mean, I just think there's all these sort of caveats. But um, I'm telling you, Seth, if Trump wins reelection, it is going to be I just I foresee just mass chaos for people. I mean, they're just they're not going to accept it. It's going to be uh, I, I, you know, I think it's going to put some of these protests to shame with what's gonna happen if if he ends up running yep. the election. and it's gonna be weird too, right? Because we've got this whole mail in ballot situation, which we're not gonna know. We're not even gonna know, you know, races here in the state of Arkansas for at least a you know, couple right. of days because they count all these mail in ballots. So we I don't even think people will find out like it'll be strange, right? Because it's not gonna be a Brian Williams of oh, we're we're coming on the air to tell you that, you know, Donald Trump or, you know, Joe Biden is the you know, is the yep. Um, Mm -hmm. has won the election you're gonna it's gonna be like piecemeal right like it's gonna be like oh they won this state on tuesday oh they won this state on or tuesday night on wednesday on thursday it's gonna be very very strange but um anyway hey seth thanks so much for taking an hour out of your time today we've got a lot more to talk about and i'm sure we will in the next uh, few weeks so we'll talk then buddy all right thank you all right thanks for tuning in to the dave ellswick show we'll see you back here tomorrow morning